Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hello, how are you? Welcome back to another episode. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Matt Browning. As per usual, it's an interview Friday, and I say this every week, and I mean it every week. It's a special Friday. This time especially because I have um, a guest that I, we're going to get into some, some real, some, some deep topics uh, on this. We're going to talk about overcoming adversity. We're going to talk about how to prepare, uh, you know, never expecting the worst, but how to plan for how to get through that and how to get to the next side. Um, my guest today is Jay Gabrani. Now, his first child was born in 2005, so you know, 13 years ago. Um, he jumped into the world of real estate investing, so he's had a lot of challenges along the way. Um, he built a multiple seven-figure real estate portfolio. Uh, it helped him to take a multi-year sabbatical to deal with a heartbreaking personal tragedy when his wife passed away in 2014. We're going to get into really the family story and what that's like as a husband and a father, um, truly how to walk through something as tragic as that and how to come out into the next chapters. Um, man, I, you know, I, I, I guess I just want to get into that. And, and obviously we'll talk about what you're doing today, Jay, and how, sure. uh, you know, how powerful it is. You have a new podcast launching. Uh, it'll be, I'm sure, launched by the time this drops called A Minute with Jay. So you can check that out on iTunes. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a wild ride here today. So let's get into the show. Jay, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, Matt. Great to be with you. I'm so glad that we got to make it today. Um, I guess, you know, let's get into a little bit of your background about real estate to start because most anyone listening to this knows I have a background in real estate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I made my first million dollars at 25 all through real estate and also mm -hmm. through, you know, my own brokerage. Were you, were you in, the, in the business side of it or strictly on the investing side? And how yeah, did you start it? Strictly. Yeah, great. So uh, you did kind of mention it from the bio. So for me, Matt, before my first child was born in 2005, uh, no real estate. Didn't own anything. I uh, was Nothing. a business guy. No, it was a business guy, owned businesses, but yeah, wasn't into real estate investing. But when he was born, uh, yeah, then life changed basically kind of overnight. And I started down this journey of learning where it's like, how do millionaires become millionaires? How do you take care of your family? How do you secure your family's financial future? And uh, I read like 150 to 200 books about all these various topics all trying to figure out how am I going to take care of him? And that real estate investing was the way I decided. So it was back then, uh, started studying and made my first investment in 2007. Uh, didn't do very well in my initial investing part, but rejigged a couple of things, reformulated a plan and started doing a lot more in 2009, 10 and 11. And when I switched focus to a different area, uh, that turned that turned out uh, quite well. So yeah, real estate. That's where it kind of started, and that was why it was uh, why it was done. What area did you start in, and where did you end up moving into? Because you're in the so, kind of prime picking time in 2009 when it's just beginning mm -hmm. to coming back up, but there's a ton of people still in trouble. Yes, definitely. So I'm actually so I I'm very very aware of the entire subprime and mortgage credit crisis in 2007 eight. Even though I'm just north of you, I'm from Toronto, Canada. And 
you just got to say when the U.S. sneezes, Canada catches a cold. So there was a lot of there was <laughs> a lot of stuff that. that was that was synergistic with the market going down in the U.S. the credit crisis and what happened up in Canada. So your question was, where did I start? I started in Western Canada. Toronto's like more Eastern Canada. I started in a city called Edmonton, Edmonton, Alberta. Sure. And if you remember back at that time, Matt, oil, the price of oil was uh, about 130, 140 bucks. And it was really booming. The story behind oil was, is that the world was running out of oil. And Alberta has got these things called oil sands. So they have this like 400 years worth of oil, but it's really hard to get to. It's not the clean oil stuff. But with the story being that everyone was running out of oil, that market was booming. And I started there. But I bought Matt right at the top. You could not buy any higher than me. Townhouses, which I was buying at 275000 in a very strategic place in Edmonton, a very focused place, like a, a mile by another mile. Um, I was buying at two seventy five, and within six months, the price of oil had plummeted down to like $30, $40. And Alberta real estate went right with it. Edmonton real estate went right with it. Uh, it fell down to like 180000 in about six months. So my so, first experience was not good. So did you was, keep, were you able to keep those properties and watch them come back up? Or did you dump a bunch and then kind of reinvent and decide to switch gears? Got it. So basically, I hung on to them. They were all running negative cash flow. So it was quite a drain. Um, being an entrepreneur, being in business, I had a business which I was making some good money at. I'm sure we can touch on that. but Still, no one feels good about feeding negative real estate. So uh, I was able to hang on to most of it until, you know, for five years when the mortgages had to get renewed, I was able to get into better mortgages. And the one good thing about it was, is that even though the house prices, I, I have this little saying, house prices are opinions, the rental real estate and the rental revenue cash flow is a fact. Amen. Just, Amen. Just get the facts, right? So Luckily, uh, even though the prices had gone down, the opinion of the house, the cash flow was, was okay once I was able to re renew the mortgages at better terms. So I still have some of that stuff, but I was able to, I, I, and mortgage pay down wise, uh, we're probably around 35, 40,000 we've paid down and it has also recovered. So I'm not in a horrible place right now in that part of the portfolio, but um, let's just say it wasn't as bad as when I first bought. Well, so, again, and what you said too is so true, the, the opinions, which is the value versus the actual fact of how much you can earn and how much you have to pay. And I look at, you know, I didn't look at it like that before as well. You know, I thought, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm up a hundred grand. I'm down a hundred grand and I've, I've lost yes. millions and I've gained millions. And, um, but now the plan and what I'm doing in real estate today is very different. It's like, mm -hmm. look at a property. Let me make sure that whether I live in it and I move out of it or whether it's a rental to the, in the beginning, let yes. me make sure that it's going to cash flow no matter what. And then I'll just hang on to it. Totally. And I don't care if it drops 80% value as long as the rent, because when the values drop, the rents go back up. So mm -hmm. it was real estate your main, that, that was obviously what you did to, to build a lot of wealth. Was That's that right. the main piece of like your financial security um, from, you know, say that time frame from 2005 to 2013. Let's go to that. It was, uh, it was 100% real. 100%. And was it cash flow uh, rentals or was it, were you pulling some equity as it went up and then buying something else and then using some of that to live on? Uh, not really the last part. So rental oh, good. real estate, it was more, okay, so started in Edmonton, kind of bombed, didn't do very well, but learned some lessons. And I started, I read a book called uh, Acres of Diamonds. 
The gist of Acres of Diamonds is, is that there's an acre of diamonds right in your own backyard. So I lived in a suburb west of Toronto called Oakville. And even though I had lived there, I had never considered investing here, getting other properties. But when I switched focus to Oakville, right in my own backyard, I really did a lot of the deep due diligence, the work that's required to know your area, to as an investor, to be smart about it. And then um, I basically brought in some joint venture partners, Matt. We bought up a bunch of properties, all for long-term buy and hold. Very focused area of Oakville, like literally another mile by another mile area. And in that, we were buying 50 to 70-year-old bungalows, which sat on 60 by 120-foot lots, and we rented it out for the long term. We basically generated some cash flow out of it, but we always left the cash flow in the properties because stuff always happens, repairs, renovations, vacancies, etc. And we were always kind of going with, as long as this pays all the bills, it generates a little cash, which we stash, and we're paying down the equity. Hopefully, we'll get some appreciation. And yes, Oakville, I switched to in that sweet spot when you just talked about it, 2009, 10, and 11. And uh, much like different places in the U.S., Toronto real estate has skyrocketed in that time. And uh, we were sitting in a very, very nice area. So strategically, it all worked out. I encourage your audience, when you're putting stuff like this together, have a strategy. Have a strategy. All that work is done ahead of time before you spend a dollar on an investment and be intelligent about it. So I, I put that work in and was able to take advantage. Yes. So now at this point, you're sitting you know, fairly well. Um, you have, when, when was your last child born? Yeah, so first child, 2005, second one, 2007, third one, 2009. Oh, there you go. That's a so recipe it was, for it was joy. Stressful. It, was, <laughs> stress it was stressful. Let's put it that way. Three young kids at home. You have a business running. You started your investing in Edmonton. It didn't do well. Sure. You switched folk. Like there was a lot going on, like there is for a lot of people. Uh, but let's just say that desire was still there. Like when my third child was born, the credit crisis uh, it did not quite wipe me out, but it, it hurt my business that I was doing at the time and it hurt my real estate. So when we talk about some adversity and stuff, yeah, there's challenges you must overcome in any sort of endeavor. But as a real estate investor and entrepreneur, I, I, I encourage people to say, accept challenges as feedback. Right? Or accept mistakes as feedback, not as failure. And if they can do that, people can do that. You can learn and uh, build your investing skills over time. I think we talk about that so much, but the reality of living through it can feel very different. You know, yes. I, I don't know one person I've talked to at a seminar in the last 10 years that, you know, hey, there's no failure, only feedback. People always nod and go, yeah, I get that. But then when it's you failing or you're failing in an epic way, Yes. And I, I mean, during, during that credit crisis, I lost $5 million mm -hmm. in property. Like mm -hmm. I failed in a massive way. Um, totally. I filed bankruptcy the next year and I went from a self-made millionaire to a self-made bankrupt. And like that feeling in the moment, it's really hard to look at that and say, oh yeah, I'm just learning. This is great. It was after the fact though. And I'm looking back and thinking, gosh, if I could learn in the moment from there, mm -hmm. there's so much to that. Now, for you, you're, you're, you're kind of, I don't know, like the, the picture I get is you're living the good life. You know, you got your wife, you got your three kids, they're two years apart, so it's stressful, but it's like, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. You got babies in the house, you got real yes. estate going. Is your wife working or home at the time? My wife was completely 100% home, oh, uh, responsible for the entire cycle of 
family, kids, household. The whole thing. So that you got her kid in Caboodle. Uh, you know what? We agreed that that's why we, we dated for like three years and then got married in 2004. And Matt, I got married because I wanted to have kids. And she agreed with me. We agreed we'd have them close together so they grow up together. Um, obviously, that put a lot of hardship on her and her body and everything. But um, that was kind of that was exactly the plan. So, yeah, I, I had it going in that respect. Like uh, you go through ups and downs, but overall in life, you're kind of doing what you always thought you might do. Right. Is uh, for me, it was always, yeah, business. And how am I going to increase my family's financial future and then get married and have kids and white picket fence and all that stuff? That's how yeah. I grew up. That's exactly how I thought it would be. Uh, so yeah, that's how it went. So, so kind of bridging into, you know, our topic of adversity. Sure. Um, and I know it's, it's not an easy topic and I, I can't fathom, but mm. you know, it's, it's obviously a massive part of your story is in 2014, yes. uh, your wife passes away yes. and you're, you're a father and you have three young children mm-hmm. and you have your business and you have all these things. Um, I don't even know how to ask, but I guess, yes. where, where are you in your mind? Where are you in your heart? Um, did, what shifted? What, what was the first thing that you had to do? You know, did you just, sure. I, I feel like I would just collapse in a ball and just stay there for a while. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of hits the nail right on the head. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of context here. Um, so yeah, we were, we were doing okay. Like, uh, she had her things kind of handled. I was handling my stuff, even though we messed up in Edmonton or whatever. Like she, she knew that I was continually driving forward and that I had a lot of desire. So, um, but unfortunately in 2011, I'll give you a little bit of the background here. Uh, she fell down one day and she hurt herself. She wrenched her back. And the next day she went to a doctor and the doctor prescribed her Oxycontins, which are a really, really nasty painkiller with a lot of addictive properties. Strong opiate. Very strong opiate. And unfortunately, Matt, she developed a uh, addiction to, to, the, to these Oxycontins. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience in life where someone around you, someone very close to you, uh, develops these addictions, but it's not very easy. Um, then you can throw on top the fact that there's three young children in the home. And obviously the mom goes through tremendous hormonal changes and imbalances and there's some depression. So now if we take the addictions and we take some depression um, and the chiseling of kind of her self-esteem, like it was not a, a rosy picture. So a lot of people, when they hear my wife passed away and I was only like 41, 42 years old, uh, obviously the next question is, Jay, what happened? And I, I, you know, I, I talk about this stuff, Matt, because to me, genuineness is, uh, it's a top five value. So um, I talk about this because I know there's people out there who are facing this kind of same thing my wife was. And she made a decision basically that uh, she didn't want to be here anymore. And um, when, I, when I talk about this, yeah, obviously it's been like four years, but it's still uh, very emotional for me. So what happened is one day she was here, the next day she was gone and yeah, life totally got turned around. So when you say curled up in a ball, uh, the business I was doing at the time, I was running a mobile marketing agency. Uh, I was teaching business owners how to get customers with their phones. I shut it down. 
I couldn't deal with any clients. I couldn't deal with anybody. Uh, the good fortune was I had real estate. So I was able to refinance some uh, property and take a nice chunk of money, just put it in my bank account and not deal with it. So what changed? I basically had to take over that whole kit and caboodle, man. Like uh, the whole, we talked about the domestic cycle, home cycle, I'll, like simple examples, like play dates. Like my uh, other parents are calling me now. I had never spoken or arranged a simple thing like a play date. What do the kids eat for dinner? Uh, what's with the laundry? Like all these things that overnight just, it becomes you. And of course, you're dealing with all that on top of the more major thing, which is the a loss, the emotions and everything of losing her. So you can kind of go wherever you want with that. But I really encourage people in the audience. Um, I, again, I talk about it because the biggest regret of my life was I was unable to help my wife or I, I didn't do whatever I was supposed to do to help her. So if someone out there in the audience uh, you're going through it or you have a family member going through it, uh, please, you know, maybe you can reach out and you can take some action, which I wasn't able to take and uh, save all that. You know, in, in uh, thank you for sharing that. So honestly too, Jay, um, I, I appreciate it. And, and this might not be, I don't know the best question or not, but, but sure. I'd like to know yes. um, if you're facing that, like, as you look back and I know we shouldn't be playing the second guessing game and that's one of the mm -hmm. most dangerous games to play, yes. um, you know, cause it's not your fault and mm -hmm. these types of things never are, but at the same time we can't help, I'm sure. Right. But to go back in different ways and it's different. But when I lost my brother, I, you know, I looked back and thought, gosh, what could I have done? How could I have done this? I could, you know, as you look back, are there any second guesses that, I don't know, like if you could have done it differently, do you know what you would have done? Yes. And, and I'm asking yes. that specifically, again, if someone's listening and thinking, well, I'm in that situation or I have someone that I know, mm -hmm. what is something that you believe would be a positive intervention or something that you could have contributed having rehashed it potentially in your mind? Yeah, really good question. Unfortunately, yeah, we do like... Um, in that time when, especially that first year and a half, Matt, like, let's just say there's a lot of time to think like you, you're home alone, you drive your kids to school and then you come back home, you're sitting in an empty house. There's a lot of time to reflect on stuff like that. So yes, here's the two things in particular I would have done on the addiction side with the painkillers. I would have taken control of the bottle. I didn't take control of the bottle. I didn't even know quite honestly for the first eight months or a year, whatever it was like this, the addiction went on for about three years. It started 2011 oh, wow. and her life ended in 2014. And that three years was a slippery slope. That first eight months, Matt, I don't, I don't even think I knew. Okay. Like I had no idea. Like you just, you're so busy in your thing. She's busy in her thing. You don't know. And, and she, has a, she has a bad back from an accident and you yes. know, she has medication and it's just, it is what it is. That is exactly it. But uh, once I realized that uh, she was taking a lot more than the prescribed amounts, uh, then I physically should have taken the bottle and, and maybe tried to do it that way. So that would have been one thing, is the distribution of the actual opiate. Uh, yeah, it's needed, but it, it obviously became an, uh, an entirely bigger issue than when she first got it. And the second thing, and this is more on the depression side, first of all, like, again, I think people were in the past, they, there's this uh, um, shamefulness or something about depression. 
I have never quite understood that. Like, it's an issue, like there's so many other issues out there, yet people for some reason weren't talking about it. I talked to a friend of mine who also suffers from it, and his thing was, Jay, if I'm a laptop, there's just so many apps open, I don't think I have the processing power to handle it all. So there was like this thing of, I want people to talk about it. And I didn't talk about it openly enough with my wife. I did not encourage slash support to get the professional help that we needed. I like, again, we don't get any training like this, Matt. Like we get married, we become husbands and fathers and they become mothers and wives. We don't know how to deal with any of this stuff. Like these issues come up in life. No one has trained us on it. You don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, I feel like we can barely sometimes handle the normal, let alone the abnormal. You got you know? it. It's like you there's plenty it. of people that are fighting in relationships and in families just about how do I get my kids to school or what, you know, what should we do for family traditions and you know, just yes. positive normal things, let alone when something abnormal happens like an accident or an addiction or, or a loss. Um, Jay, let me ask you then. Yes. So as you start walking through this and mm-hmm. I guess sort of trying to get a, a semblance of what life's going to look like uh, in a post world, right? What what these next chapters are. I realize yes. I'm sure there's plenty of time mm-hmm. that, you know, you're, you're just walking through it and you're having to, to bear two burdens. And I want to ask you kind of what, what that is like and if you have mm-hmm. advice on that, you're bearing the burden of having to, of losing your wife. And that's something mm-hmm. that's your own grief. You have to walk through what the heck. Yes. But at the same time, you have to have this strength for three little children as mm-hmm. they're going through, you know, their, uh, their grief and their changes and their processing, however they're doing it. And yes. you get three different individual humans mm-hmm. that just lost their mother. Yes. Talk, talk to me about the, the having to be able to wage that war, have that balance between taking care of you and taking care of them. Were you mm-hmm. able to do both or did you find yourself sacrificing one for the other and no judgment on it? But yes. what was that like in that first you know, time? I can, yeah, I, I think that I can easily cut this up to the first year uh, after her passing. The first year, Matt, it was uh, shut the business down I basically shut down, um, you know, the, the analogy of a cat, like the cat just curled up in the corner, licking its wounds. That's what I did. So I wasn't taking care of myself per se in that first year. It was all focused on how do I help my children deal with this? It was all about them. And really all it came down to was it was spending time with them, like, uh, dropping them off to school, picking them up and being home and being available um, for myself after that first year, uh, you kind of wake up and, and Matt, when I say that first year was just, I was numb. That's the only word I can give you. Like there was, there was no real interactions. There was just tears. There was tears flowing every day. I didn't think a human could cry that much. Let's put it that way. So, uh, after that first year, you kind of wake up and you realize, Hey man, life's got to go on. Uh, I have three young children here. I want to be a role model for them. I want to set an example for them that you can overcome lots of things in life. And I, you know, I teach them a lot of philosophies, Matt. And one of the things that had to come out of their mom's passing was the saying, uh, good things happen in life, bad things happen in life. The only thing you control is how you react to any of it. And I had to really, you know, stress that to them that uh, they're just getting in life, man. Like to, to, to get into death to someone so close to them, like it's just very overwhelming. So it was all about uh, spending time with them 
And then, yeah, after the first year, treating myself better, working out more, uh, introducing meditation in my life, eating healthier. Uh, because, yeah, you can understand there's a lot of chaos there that's on the inside, right? Like, um, I have the saying, inner chaos equals outer chaos. Like, when you Absolutely have stuff true. going on, yeah, like, in, inside the body, it shows on the outside. And it could, like, I could see it on my own face. You know, blemishes in my skin or just the energy levels, etc. So I started taking better care of myself. And I have always spent, even the four years since, um, the sabbatical kind of continued after I thought maybe it would be one year. Then it just went another year and it went another year because I was reinventing myself. Now we're at the point where we have really good systems uh, in our household to run things. Uh, they have heavy involvement with that. It's their house. They run a lot of it. I just kind of oversee it because I'm a business guy. I didn't know a lot of these things and I still don't know some of them. But we still manage. So but you're just the CEO of your house and these guys it. are the managers. That's it, brother. That's it. Wow. 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it has to be like, like other parents might be like, well, why didn't you learn how to cook or why don't you learn how to do laundry or any of these type of things? Like I'm, I'm pretty old-fashioned in that respect. But um, I didn't really know how to do any of it. And I was like, well, I, I have to focus on them, just being there for them. Um, luckily, uh, both grandmothers – are very active in their lives. Both grandfathers are active in their lives. And uh, we live all relatively close together. My parents live like 10 minutes away and my mother-in-law and father-in-law. When, when my wife and I moved to Oakville, they kind of came uh, right there. So they live two streets away from me. Oh, so I have lots of help. What a blessing. What a blessing, yes. man. That's cool. We're very fortunate. I, I want to ask you to kind of move into this next space. Is yes. You know, you, you wrote here too on, on part of your bio that um, before uh, she passed, you thought you were pretty financially prepared and you were in a good place. That's right. And then after going through it and being the executor of her estate and all that, you realized you weren't. Yes. What, what was the element that you thought, especially financially wise and mm -hmm. lifestyle wise, I guess, what yes. part did you think you had on lock, but the truth was you didn't at all? What part did I think I had on Just, I think the overall process of it. I went to school to be a professional accountant and real estate investor and lifelong entrepreneur. So always around papers and legals and all these things. I'm very comfortable with all those things. So I thought that uh, the day after our son was born in 2005 was the first day we got wills, like right away. So we were prepared on that where, yeah, the wills were created. But then when it came to just the whole thing of, Again, you're dealing with emotional, uh, when you're going through this executor role, you're still dealing with the losses, but now you're dealing with um, simple things, Matt. Like, I, again, being the financial person in the household, I thought I knew where all of the stuff was. Um, th simple things, her passwords, her safe deposit box keys, um, just the mortgage, getting uh, one, of, one of our properties was in her name just getting mortgage documents and everything uh, where they were. Um, all, the organization behind it all, it was frustrating for me, even though you would think with my background, it should be okay for me. And the whole thing of during my sabbatical afterwards, I started talking with other fathers. And that's where it started coming out where I, I recognized if I'm not that prepared and I can't handle all this stuff, 
and I'm educated for it and kind of like trained for it. Right. You're the preparation guy and you weren't really right. prepared because it wasn't real. Right. Where, where's everyone else at? Right. Then so I started start, talking with other go Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm interrupting you. I want to hear this. No. Uh, so I just started <laughs> talking to other fathers and started saying, and Matt, you know what? Like we're, we're going to talk about something here that as guys, you know, like we're trained, uh, you know, maybe the, the hunter gatherer, supportive, etc. Uh, at the end of the day, you know what? Like, remember that first year when I'm like alone and the tears are flowing, your thoughts kind of run away with you a little bit. And I had a thought of, wow, like my wife is the one who passed away. Uh, what if it was me? Unfortunately, that did. How would she be? Would she have been able to handle it? Would she have been able to know everything? And then I realized that she wouldn't have had a first clue. And when I talked to a lot of the other dads, um, I, I know there's a lot of women out there who are in charge of their family's finances. It's awesome. I'm going to specifically talk to the fathers here. Uh, a lot of us are given this role, not necessarily being trained for it, being the financially responsible one in the household. And if you are, if you're the financially inclined, responsible, you do the record keeping, you do the investing, et cetera, uh, then your spouse, if something happens to you, there's a huge, huge risk area there. And that's kind of where, when I talk about prepared fathers, that's the whole basis of it. It is to empower fathers. It's to help fathers get financially prepared. It's to help them secure their family's financial future so that if something happens, because uh, life gets in the way, Matt. Like life has curveballs all over the place, right? Everyone has them. Uh, in case something like that happens, at least maybe your family will be looked after, uh, not just financially, but just with the whole uh, process of it all, if it's organized and it's clean. So that's, that's where I wanted to, that's why I created Prepared Fathers. It was to help fathers do that. And I know if I help fathers, I'm helping families. If I'm helping families, I'm helping communities. So that's, uh, that, that's the basis of it. Jay, I, I mean, as you're talking, I'm, I'm putting myself in the picture and I'm putting my family in the picture. I have, you know, my wife and my seven-year-old son upstairs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I know that we have some of this stuff, right? Like, you know, we had, you know, we have a trust drawn up and we have living wills and things, but, you know, I, I haven't looked at it since I think it was just before he was born and we have him, you know, the unnamed child is on there. And it's like, does that need to be updated? Go. Probably. Yes. Is my life insurance set up the right way. Yeah, That's There's right. probably things to look at. There's, there's so many pieces um, mm -hmm. what, what's the number one enemy, the number one thing that gets people if they don't pay attention about securing your family's financial future? Actually, you just hit upon it. It's unfortunately, oh, and this answer is going to hurt. It's everyone's own lack of awareness towards it. Plain lack and of simple. Their lack of awareness towards it. Again, uh, you know how guy, have you ever heard the story where the guys, we won't ask for directions uh, or we don't like going to the doctor oh, or sure. whatever? Yeah. Well, for some reason, guys don't like talking about their own mortality and they don't like talking about kind of things which might happen if they're not here anymore. So just their lack of awareness on it or their, you know, unwillingness to talk about it, that's the biggest enemy. Because I, I claim that as ignorance versus negligence. Someone who's financially ignorant doesn't know. They're ignorant towards it. But once you've heard about it, and once you, it's been brought into your mind space and you've become aware, if you choose not to do it after that, if you choose not to take some steps, then that's negligence. 
So why would you want to commit a crime, a financial crime against your future self? That's what I ask fathers and your families. Why would you want to do that? You don't want to do that, right? So take the steps necessary now. Get yourself prepared. Get the things you just discussed. Make sure you have a will. Check well, so, your life insurance. So let, let's talk about this right now then. So, yeah. cause I know you have, uh, you set up like a, a financial prep checklist and, and I want right. to get an idea cause I, I'm already thinking, okay, now, now I do need to get this sorted out and yes. you know, God forbid something does change or shift and it's with her or with me or, or, or someone I know it's like, we need to make sure that's right. And I, I feel like most of the people I know probably have pieces, but you might not have the big picture because of the, what you said about, uh, ignorance to something, you know, maybe, Hey, I yes. got the, I got the life insurance set up, but you don't realize that it's not uh, set up with the right beneficiary into your trust or your trust isn't the proper one or whatever it is. Um, talk to me about the big picture of like, uh, the overall financial prep checklist. Sure. Um, what kinds of things do we need to look at? And then I feel like you might have something like that available. I feel like at prepared fathers, a lot of the mission, as you said, is yes. helping, and certainly it's not only fathers, as you mentioned, you know, it's mm -hmm. for families, yes. uh, but at preparedfathers.com and you set up something cool at preparedfathers.com slash Matt. Tell That's us right. about what that is and what we need. Yes. You know, so it's so dear to my heart that people would talk about this. So thanks for asking about it. Uh, once again, you see the mission here. It's to help fathers and empower fathers. So the checklist itself, Matt, is available at that site you just gave, preparedfathers.com forward slash Matt. I want people to please go there. And it's a nice, simple checklist. It's a checklist which is broken up into a three-part little formula. The first part is conversations, C. The second part is assets, A. The third part is paperwork, P, the cap formula, I call it. C stands for the conversations. First step, folks, is just have the conversations that you need to have. Like Matt, you would sit down with your wife. You would sit down with other family members. See, this is the other thing. There's always this thing of, it's not just us and our wives or our spouses and children. There's either, you could be older and maybe have grandkids. You could possibly have older parents. So these conversations have to happen all around your family because this topic has to be discussed about what happens if. So that's the first thing is the conversations. So there's some useful points about holding conversations with family, with a lawyer, an executor, etc. The second part is assets. This is the one where I think a lot of people, you said, they think they have it handled. They think that if they make a lot of money, that they're okay. Uh, no, it's not how much you make. It's how much you keep. And if something happens to you, it's how much you protect. Because if you're uncomfortable having these conversations and you're uncomfortable setting up the right structures for yourself, trust me, you're going to be, or your family is going to be very uncomfortable paying the government if something happens to you. Because if it's not documented, the government will take more than their helpful share to your estate. So well, you're they really don't mind at all, do they? Not at all. So you're putting your family at even more risk by not saying these things. So assets, it's not just about how much money you make. It's what you keep, it's what you save, it's what you invest in, and how you protect all of that. And the third part is paperwork. It's wills, powers of attorney for your health, powers of attorney for your finances. And the one kind of thing which uh, is the prepared fathers, like kind of what we'll call just our initial product, it's a simple binder, a place where all of your family's most important information, passwords, et cetera, account numbers are thoughtfully organized in one place. 
So if people can handle the conversations, they can always work on like documenting their assets and creating more assets. That's part of what we do every day is do better business, make more money, et cetera, and then have your paperwork. The beautiful thing about the paperwork, Matt, is you've got to go through the effort once and then once a year, tax time or whatever, or your advisory time, planning time, you just take a look at the binder and update it. If you handle that, you are now financially prepared. We didn't say you have to spend tons of money. We didn't say you have to do much. You have to put a little effort into it. And Listen, I, I love the idea and I'm going to jump on and do that right now myself. Fantastic. So I'll be your first person on there. <laughs> Fantastic. That's uh, so, great. Man, Jay, thank you for, for the inspiration for that. And thank you for so candidly sharing your story about what, what brought you to the point where this is your mission and this is why you're doing this. Yes. Um, and thank you for preparing families everywhere. So guys, yep. you can find out more about Jay at uh, jaygabrani.com. We'll have that in the show notes. And then you can go to preparedfathers.com forward slash Matt. That's M-A-T-T, my name. And you can download, uh, you can download Jay's financial preparedness, uh, financial prep checklist of everything he just said using his cap formula. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Um, final thoughts. I love one final question as we're wrapping up to the end of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, we'll have all this on the show notes for you or for sure. everybody. And I ask this question often and this one um, certainly gave me pause if I wanted to or not. But mm -hmm. here's my final question. Sure. Looking back, if you could do anything, if you could change anything, what specifically would you change? And I think I kind of asked you already, but I'm sure. wondering where your mind would go. Um, yes. Or would you leave things all the same? Uh, if I could somehow leave everything in my business career, investing career, uh, the same, uh, I would. It's fine. And, and trust me, I've been in your boat, made lots of money, lots, lost lots of money, uh, had businesses which uh, did well and businesses which failed. But uh, certainly the one area would be with my wife. Um, that's, and Matt, when I say regrets, I don't have many regrets. Like I, I get it. I, we, I, I'm, I'm of the philosophy. We live one life. Let's do really good at it so that when we're in our rocking chair in our eighties and nineties and our rocking chair tests, we look back and we can say, Hey, you know what? We did good there. Uh, but when I look back, yeah, it's going to be, what could I have done differently with my wife? And I know that uh, nothing I say now is ever going to bring her back, but it does still tie into her legacy uh, and that we didn't touch on it. When I said after that first year, taking better care of myself, my attitude also changed to saying, what did, instead of thinking about what I lost, her, uh, I thought, what do I still have, my children, and what can the legacy be for her? And the legacy for her is what I do with those three kids. So training those kids and everything, that was, that's kind of uh, where where it's at for me. So that, that's what I want to be known for. And that's the only regret I really have. Wow. Wow. Well, Jay, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your candor and thank you for the inspiration that you are. I sure appreciate it, buddy. No, no. Great, uh, great spending time with you and encourage your audience. And I really, I, I want to uh, just say great thanks to you for asking these questions. I hope your audience, see the audience, I say, there's no value in you asking a question and me answering it. The value comes from the audience, certainly taking it and using it in their own life. So I want to acknowledge you for asking great questions and uh, a great interview. Amen and amen. Thanks so much, Jay. All right. Thanks. Uh
Guys, that is Interview Friday today. I hope you have an awesome, phenomenal weekend. Uh, really take what Jay uh, shared, what he said. Uh, make sure you take him up on that preparedfathers.com slash Matt checklist. I'm going to do that right now, um, and I need to make sure that my family's taken care of. So that's a huge, huge thing. Glad that he has that contribution to the world. Uh, grateful for him. So get out there, have an awesome weekend. If you haven't already, as per usual, make sure you subscribe, you rate, you review the pod. Um, if you're listening to us on AMFM radio in Chicago, hope you have a great drive out of the city. And if you're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, et cetera, um, go back into the archives, check out some other episodes. If you scroll down, if you're a new listener, there are a ton of great interviews and some really, really good content. I'll see you on Tuesday with Teaching Tuesdays as we get into the next chapter. Have an awesome weekend. Crush it.